All the, all the troublesome things in my life that I thought I could fix, whether it be a relationship with friends or my girlfriend or uh, my parents um, or, or whether it be, you know, gaining wealth and being the best at this, this or this, you know, there, there's so much control you have. But when I came to myself, I think it was, uh, you know, I had gone what I ever thought that that I would get to you know kind of like the prodigal you know it took it took a couple pigs to make him realize that that wow you know what is he doing you know here he is a Jewish guy not not only was he not supposed to be touching them he was feeding them and and, and laying with them but I think for me it was drugs you know I didn't do drugs till I was 29 years old, I'm 30 now, uh, I hit just a, a hard spot, a depressing spot in my life. You know, I lost the only girl that I ever cared about. Um, you know, my truck blew up. You know, that's never good when you're a country boy and your truck blows up. You don't Not good. <laughs> Not good. I was like, yeah, you think Chevy's running tough, right? Okay. There was a line in there, but there was this famine that kind of hit that's in the right, land. Famine, and. Yeah. With you, it was the truck blew up. It was a truck and a girlfriend. And uh, back in May, it's kind of like a country song, my dog got run over my car. So there was a period of events, but I think I think really what that point in time was is I never even smoked a joint, marijuana, nothing. And uh, I was going through so much. I was just, you know, trying to find something that could cover all this up. You know, the alcohol wasn't working, so I tried marijuana. Very next night, I tried cocaine. Both of them were the biggest letdown of my life because here I, here I was. I've been through the Marine Corps. I've been through this. I've been through this. Todd Trudeau doesn't do drugs. Well, he did, and he found so much emptiness and so much loneliness and so much despair that that was, you know, January second. That was that happened January or uh, December twenty fourth, and January second. When I gave my life to God completely, I mean completely, and uh, He's run it ever since. Now you told me that that you know, just speaking of family here, but you told me that during that Christmas you didn't go home. Oh no! Yeah, you you were kind of avoiding those relationships in your life, the meaningful relationships, people that you knew loved you. You know, I'm saying because that was a part of that uh, that loneliness that you even enforced upon yourself. See, I think that I think we all have that issue. You know, nobody, no kid wants to come home with bad grades. You know, um, no kid. You know, every every child, and I'm going to speak for boys on this one. Every boy wants the approval of his father. You know, he wants to prove to his father how much of a man he is, how much of a boy he is, how much of a. Um, you know, and here I am at the lowest of lows. You know, I've come to church here many times wearing dress blues. God, that felt good. You know, you talk about proud. Man, I was proud. And not because I was the one wearing the uniform, but because my mother was showing me off and introducing me to people that I've met 12 times before. You know, I mean, it, it's that's that's what we all strive for. I think all of us. And, and uh, when we don't have a father here on earth, you know, God in heaven takes over, but but you got to have that introduction to God, 
and uh, luckily I found that with my parents growing up, I just ran forever. So, so describe what happened January the 2nd. January the 2nd, we have, uh, I go to a church in Logan, Texas, awesome church, it's called Experience Life, and uh, girlfriend and I used to go to Experience Life regularly. Before I gave my life to God, you know, I was I was seeking Him, but I was trying to live my own way. And January second, I wasn't trying to live my own way. You know, I was I was done living my way. There was there was no light at the end of the tunnel. I was, you know, I'd given up. You know, and and uh, I wouldn't say I tested God, but I definitely I definitely let God know what I what where I was at and, and what I was thinking and what, what I was going through as if he didn't already know. Um, you know, I was crying and he was he was laughing. He was, you know, it's about time, Todd. But I went into a prayer meeting. Uh, we have Tuesday night prayer. Actually, it was a Monday night prayer. Um, January 2nd, Monday night prayer. And uh, I went in and I just, you know, I think probably for the first time in my life, I didn't look at who was at church. I didn't look, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember what we talked about, really, to be honest. I, I went because I, I had felt the presence of God there before, you know, in that church. And and mm-hmm. that's where I knew I could find Him, as silly as that sounds. And uh, I went and I just gave up everything to God. You know, I went through my mind and I forgave everybody that... That I ever, you know, had anything against, whether it be my father, who I still don't have a relationship with, guys working on it. Um, whether whether it was people over in Iraq, you know, people I've never met, people here in the states that had that tint, that color, that you know, that that uh, sound like Iraqis. You know, I, I came home just jacked up in the head. You know, if they sound like it, look like it, they are it. I'm staying away from them. That's why I moved to Lubbock, Texas. There's not many Iraqis out there. Um, but I forgave everybody. Everybody. I forgave everybody. And I asked God to forgive me for everything that I had done. And I walked out of there after filling three buckets with tears. You know, I walked out of there completely free. And as a kid, you know, being a kid of the missionary, I never experienced anything like that. Ever. Period. And, you know, I thought I knew who God was, but I didn't have a clue. So, I mean, it was awesome. And then from then on, you know, it was get into the Word. My mom always said, you know, if you want to talk to God, get into the Word, He'll talk to you. I never understood that because God talked to God. I've never heard Him. You know, I thought she was trying to say, she was better than me because she hears God and I didn't, you know. <laughs> but it's so true because he starts pointing stuff out in your life and it's like, wow, this is God talking to me. But just freedom, just now, absolute freedom. When we talked uh, in, at the restaurant the other day, there were two things in the prodigal story that, you know, that, that impacted you. And one of them you mentioned is that, you know, here's this Jewish kid hanging out in a pigsty that's not kosher. You know, and, you know, that moment of recognition of that, how you associated with that was that you finally got to a place you did the thing you said you'd never do. 
You know, I'm just saying, you say, oh, man, alcohol, I'll, you know, I'll do it. But I won't do the drugs. And then, and then one day you find yourself, you needed drugs. You know, I mean, you know, because you were trying to, because of the pain, because of what was going on in your life, you know, because all the circumstances built up. But you went to a place, you know, and, and the prodigal found it, looked around, and he found himself in a place he never thought he'd be. And so, and so then, you know, because you knew there was a church where you had experienced, you had sensed the Spirit of God, you, you went to a place, you, you went toward, you started home toward the Father. Now, the second thing you talked about was that was sort of amazing to you in the story was the response of the Father. Oh, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I never understood about God is, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll go back to when I was 16. I, uh, I was out of control. You know, my parents just got back from Papua New Guinea. Probably the reason that they left the mission field was because of me. I was out of control. You know, I went to a boarding school. I got kicked out of boarding house after boarding house after boarding house. And, uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was just lonely, you know. I felt like my whole family had betrayed me and left me. And here I was hanging out with a bunch of New Zealanders and, and Australians. And, you know, I was alone. And so I did everything I could to, to make a noise and make a statement and cry out. A lot of people call it rebellion, you know. Was crying out, and we got back to the states, and you know, I had just moved so much as a kid. I had no no solid ground, no roots, and uh, you know, I had I had one friend when I got back to the states, and looking back on it, he was not a good guy, but he was the one that accepted me. You know, he was the tough kid of the school that nobody messed with, and my mom hated him, and I don't think she hated him, but she saw so much negative. And him that, that was not the way of God. But I stood up for him. And it, and it came out, there was so much anger and so much just rage. It came out one day, kind of like earlier in the skit. You know, I just blew up on her. And I was in the kitchen, and I grabbed the butcher knife, and I held it up to her. And I said, Shut the heck up. What do you say? Because we're in church. But the way that I spoke to my mother was unbelievable. You know, if I heard somebody else talk to their mother like that, I'd yank them up, you know. It's unbelievable the way that, that I used to be, but she, she loved me unconditionally. I went to jail, spent 30 days in Denton County, juvenile. You know, I thought that that would change me. You know, I swore up and down, even when they visited, that, that I was going to change. But I will say this, I, I don't know if my parents knew it or not, but they went to church and they got prayer from everybody else about what was going on. Well, I came out of jail or juvie and the whole church looked at me like I was a monster. I reached a boiling point and I was that monster. And I was no longer welcome to church. I was completely... You know, that black sheep I was thrown out pretty much, cast away. And shortly afterwards, they changed churches. Came to Willowbend. <laughs> but, uh, you no, know, I, remember. I think with, with, with the problem is that it's the badge. You know, you can't, you can't put a badge on a kid because 
human beings, people, mankind, society, we all have a tendency to judge. We all have a tendency to place those badges. But God, we were talking about in the story of the prodigal child. You know, the prodigal had it all figured out. He was going to first apologize, and then he was going to, you know, try to get back into the graces of God or into the graces of his father, so that he could receive the same treatment as his servant. Well, he came back, and the father, he cut him off. He was like, "Don't be talking about that servant stuff. You're my son." He put a he put a robe on him, you know, and that's how God is. Unconditional love through it all. And I never understood that about God. I always thought that, well, I'll do this, this, and this, and then I'll go to church. Or I'll go to church and I'm going to do things this way because I didn't want to give up drinking. I didn't want to give up, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this, and this. But once I do this, then I'll be good enough for God. God wants us as we are. He's like, hey, uh, you're laying in the mud. Come home. You don't have to be good enough. I want you right now as you are. I never understood that about God. That's awesome. That's awesome. He'll work on you over time. He's working on me. I'm still... You're a work in progress. I'm still learning all kinds of stuff. So. <laughs> I know. And I'm so grateful you know, to be able to watch the journey that you've been on. I want to speak, if we can just uh, take a moment to speak to parents out there uh, today. Because uh, or family members, if if you're involved with the prodigal, there are three statements that I want to make. And and if you're a note taker, if you're parenting a prodigal, would you write these three statements down? And would you think about them? You know, you might even be married to a prodigal. I don't know. You know, not all prodigals end up in uh, in pigsties. Some of them end up with big walnut desks, you know, in executive offices, and they're real successful. But their lives are still they're still wasting time and resources, and they're still living a life outside of God's God's will for their life. Am I right? So you know, so so if you if there's a prodigal in your life, you know, these three statements I think are are very significant, and so I really want you to. To, to, to really pause and spend some time thinking about them. All right, so here's the three statements, and then I'll make a quick explanation of just two or three things. Number one, stop beating yourself up. If you're parenting a prodigal, stop beating yourself up and start living in freedom. Stop beating yourself up and start living in freedom. Number two, love unconditionally and let go. Love unconditionally and let go. Number three, watch your words while you watch and pray. Watch your words while you watch and pray. All right, number one, stop beating yourself up. Do you know that when you know, the number they're, they're, parents that are parenting prodigals always ask two questions? They always ask two questions. I watched my mother do this for 35 years. Okay, two questions. The first question is always this, what did I do wrong? And the second question is, now what do I do? What do I do now? What did I do wrong? What do I do now? You see, now there's this famous verse that we use about parenting. You may not know where it's found, but you know the verse. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's not a promise. That's a proverb. 
That's a general principle. There's no guarantee how your kids are going to turn out. Look at God's kids. He put them in the garden. Perfect environment. They had a perfect heavenly father. And what did they do? They prodigalized themselves. Did they not? Are you with me? So stop beating yourself up. Stop beating yourself up. Because the guilt, the cycle of guilt and shame and fear and all this, it keeps you in this codependent circle doing the same stuff over and over again. And you're not making any progress. Stop beating yourself up and start living in freedom. Now, here's the thing. Here's the, here, I, I want to say to you about that. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and examine your heart. Because for you to have freedom... You need to take ownership and responsibility for the things that are broken in your life and that you broke in a relationship. So the, the, the best thing that you could do for your prodigal child, your prodigal husband, your, your, you know, your prodigal brother, you know, is to take ownership if the Holy Spirit brings specific conviction in your life. Now that, you know, the enemy is going to beat you up and try to keep you in shame and guilt and stuff with all the generality kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit will be very specific, right? You've experienced the specific Work of the Holy Spirit. You know, where, where He convicts, then you go and you confess your fault. You confess your sin. You confess what you've done. You know, I've, I have watched my friend. Can I say this, Daryl? Okay. I have watched Daryl seek to restore a relationship with a daughter that, you know, that just, that's pretty hard nosed, right, Daryl? And Daryl has done the amend step. Man, he did the searching moral inventory, let the Holy Spirit, and he's gone to his daughter and he's, confessed and he's asked for forgiveness now she's not been able to get there yet but daryl is not now restricted he can live in freedom in christ because he's acknowledged the things that the deficiencies in his life and the things that he's done wrong so you you know you stop beating yourself up and you start living in freedom number two love unconditionally your child your husband your you know, your your brother, your sister, that the prodigal in your life needs to know that you love them unconditionally. There's nothing they could do that would, that would cause you to stop loving them. Does that make sense? But you've got to let go of them. And you need to think about that because letting go means you have to allow them to experience the consequences of the choices and the decisions that they are Making You can forgive the past, but where they are in the present, but they need to feel where they are. They need to experience the consequences of the, of the decisions, the choices that they are making. Now, here's some homework for you, okay? This is homework. If you're parenting a prodigal or there's a prodigal in your life and you need to understand what letting go looks like, there is a website called called parentsofprodigals.com. And there's a wonderful article. There's about 16 statements. I'm going to read about the first four or five just to whet your appetite. Letting go does not mean you stop caring, but it does mean that I accept that I accept what I cannot do for someone else. Letting go is not to cut myself off, but it is the realization that I cannot control another. To let go is not to enable, but to allow learning from the natural consequences of choices that others make. To let go is to acknowledge that which I cannot change and to pursue only that which I can. To let go is to admit that I am powerless, which means the outcome is out of my hands. You know, there's a wonderful article on parentsofprodigals.com. Read the section on letting go and think it, think about it. 
You see, the, the whole point of this is, is that the only thing that we can do, we cannot control, we can't, we can't make any, you know, we can't make the prodigal come back. But what we can is we can remove barriers. And if we don't let go, we are establishing, we're putting a barrier out there that they, that they're not going to be able to cross. Because we're in the way of what God wants to do in their lives. So we've got to love them unconditionally and let go. And then we watch our words. Now by that I mean, we realize is that they don't want to hear our preaching and our criticism, do they? If they're in a prodigal place, they, they don't want to hear it. All we can do is love them and you know unconditionally and serve them. We need to be very discerning about our words. Not only the words we speak to them, but the words we speak to others. You know, Todd just shared with you when you know when his situation became a prayer request that the whole congregation was a part of, it created it, you know, it, it, it labeled him. And believers, man, we got to be real careful about it. We don't put labels on people. We just can't do that, right? We've got to be very watchful with our, with our words. You know? and, and at the same time, if you're parenting a prodigal, do not criticize the church around your prodigal. Because you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to think of every reason not to come back to God and not come back to church. And every time you criticize the preacher or, you know, or, or, or the, you know, or, or all those hypocrites at the church, what have you done? You just keep throwing barriers out there, stumbling blocks for them to come back. So you've got to be very careful with the use of words because actions are what you have to rely on. You've got to serve and you've got to love and you've got to find a way to engage without without constant criticism and carping and negative messages. And at the same time, you watch and pray. You've got to get used to the idea that you're going to spend a lot of time living on the porch from here on out. Until they come home. You just go ahead and move some furniture out there. You ever driven by some of those houses, you know, whatever, you know, in, in some of those uh, <clears throat> neighborhoods where people put the, the couch right there on the front porch? You ever, you ever done that? Looks kind of funny, doesn't it? Get used to it. <laughs> if you're parenting a prodigal, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to learn how to live on the porch watching and praying, you know. And also this in there too, uh, Make sure that your kid knows and understands really who God is. You know, I think all too often, um, and I, I'm not a parent, so this may sound really hypocritical and judgmental, but I never understood who God was. And it blows my mind to think that my parents were missionaries. I've been to thousands of churches. I never really understood who God was. It's not up to the Sunday school teacher to teach your kid who God is. It's not going to happen. It's day in and day out, honoring God, loving God. When, when God blesses you or blesses your finances or blesses your, you with a new job, let them know, hey, that was God. That was God. Because your kids, they're, they're looking to you to see God. And if you're not aligned with God, they're not going to see it. They're going to be confused. And then one day, God's going to bring them back in and let them know who He is. And it's going to click. And they're going to be like, why am I just now figuring this out? And I promise, that's the only advice that I can give because I'm not one to give advice. But I just, it still blows my mind that I just never really knew who God was. I never got it. Yeah. Two things in closing. 
when you pray. Now, one of the things that Waldrop, Phil, uh, Waldrop points out in his book is that 80 to 85% of the time, one of these two factors will be involved when a prodigal comes back to God, comes back to the Heavenly Father. Number one, it will be a, a peer relationship. There will be someone who they have some trust for that's in their life. It can be someone they're playing softball with in a softball league. It could be a, a, someone they work with. It could be a friend, someone they hang out with. It could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, that... It gets him involved in this quest to begin to think about spiritual things. Someone, it's usually going to be someone about their age that speaks truth into their life. Because they're not listening to you. And so when you pray, you should pray because friends and, a, and associates and people that they're seeing and that are in their traffic pattern can be very significant. So you want to pray that God will position people in their path that will speak truth into their life. Someone that they, can, that they will trust and be a friend to and someone that's a, a, about in their age category. There's a second factor that Waldrop talks about. He says, he says when prodigals come back, often... 80 to 85% of the time, there has been a, a, a lengthy sickness or death or loss of a meaningful relationship. It could be the death of a sibling. It could be the sickness or the death of a grandparent or of a parent. You know, but, but there are those moments that some, that often the Spirit of God captures, you know, and Todd described to me the loss of this very significant relationship, you know, you know, with Alexis. And that, that just triggered a lot of things in his life, you know, the, of rethinking everything. You know, so the loss of a relationship can be, can be very significant. And often the death of a close family member is very much involved with that. And I would just say to you, you know, like 16 months after my mother died, 16 months after my mother died, my brother, 12 years older than I, walked back in the doors of the church after over 50 years of, of absence of a hiatus, of having nothing to do with the church. The grief and the loss of my mother, coupled with a friend who came to visit him one weekend, just happened to be Easter weekend, and, you know, it was a girl, and she was what often in the church we call a creaster. You know what a creaster is? They go to church only at Christmas and only at Easter. You know, this gal was raised Catholic and she never missed church on Easter. And she just happened to visit my brother on Easter and said, I have to go to church. And he said, okay, I'll go with you. A few weeks ago, I'm with my brother, you know, the... Read through the Bible, right? You know, you know, read through the Bible every year. Bible is right there on his little nightstand. You reading through the Bible? He said, yeah, I'm on my second time through. You are? Yeah, you know, I'm serving on the ministry board at the church now, and they really want us to really stay, you know, have a, you know, like really, you know, we're, we have devotions every morning, you know. We have to, you know, we get them pray. What? What have you done with my brother? Do you understand what I'm saying? But the, I think the loss of, of a godly mother who I know prayed for him began a process that brought my brother back to the foundation of faith that was in his life. She was the first one I called when I uh, gave my life to God. I was like, Mom, I did it for real this time. I gave my life to God for real. I'm, I'm serious this time. 
She's she's prayed for me and with me even when I didn't want her to. And she loves you unconditionally all the way through. Tom as well. He's amazing. Yeah. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Okay. Stop beating yourself up and start living. Love unconditionally and let go. Watch your words. And all the while you are watching and you are praying for the day. There are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. But we can remove barriers from our side. We can, you know, Todd talked about at the restaurant, we can align our lives with God. And when our lives are in line with God, you know, then, you know, then that prodigal in our life will actually be able to see God. Because when they look at us, they'll also see God in that alignment. And, and over the course of time, they can begin to see who God is from our lives. So let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful. Um, great, I'm so grateful that Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. So that we could know the heart of the Father is so much bigger than ours could ever be. Your grace and your mercy and your love for us is just so incredibly phenomenal. Father, and we join hearts together and pray today because we know there may be prodigals right here in this room. Maybe some folks that um, that have maybe sensed your presence. Maybe they've gone through some circumstances in their life that would cause them to question and to think, to ponder. You know, is is there is there a better way to do life than with all these things that I seek security from that uh, that just seem to fade? that just don't really work. You know, Father, my prayer is that some some prodigal might take that step, might get on that road and head toward you. They might see you jump up from the porch and run to meet them today just because they because they're willing to take that step to believe um, to believe that you love them. Father, I pray for parents that uh, who have broken hearts, that they would uh, that they would just learn how to to trust and trust uh, their prodigal to you. That they would take whatever steps that you would lead them to take to remove any barriers, so that that prodigal can begin the journey home. Father, by your powerful spirit, would you get the attention of those who's, you know, who's, um, uh, who have come to mind and heart today as we've talked about this subject. Father, thank you for the journey that Todd, and uh, thank you for the journey that Todd and Alexis are on. And I pray that you would just continue, Father, to grow them in your spirit. Thank you for their testimony of faith and trust in you. And grace. Thank you that you brought them home to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.